If you would, I hope you have a Bible with you at home. And if you do, why don't you open it to Matthew chapter 21. We're actually going to jump around throughout the Gospels here this morning, but we are going to be thinking for a few minutes about Palm Sunday and what it means that Jesus has come as our King. Now, again, as I've kind of alluded to this morning already, one of the longest standing traditions, at least of my lifetime, since I've been here at Riverview, which has been for my lifetime, but one of the longest standing traditions during that time is that on Palm Sunday, we usually open the service by singing a triumphal hymn, and the children come marching down the center aisle waving those palm branches. And sadly, this might be the first year in, I don't know, decades that this tradition has not been carried out at Riverview because of this coronavirus. It's been our tradition to have our children do that because it's it's a recreation of what the people did on that first Palm Sunday when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. We read about this in verse 9 of Matthew 21. It says that the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. People were excited when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Why were they so excited? Because their king is finally here. And if you look at what they say in specific, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Now that title of son of David is rather important, and it's a title that is used most in the Gospel of Matthew. It's used just once in the Gospel of Mark. It's used four times in the Gospel of Luke and 15 times in the Gospel of Matthew. And that title is significant because it's what we call a messianic title. In other words, the term Son of David refers to the Messiah. So as the people declare that the Son of David has come, they're saying that Jesus is their Messiah. Jesus is their King. The one that scripture foretold would come from the line of David. He would come to save them and for his throne to be established forever. But it turns out that he's maybe not actually the Messiah that they were expecting. He's not actually the king that they were expecting or even really the kind of king they wanted. Now think about it for a minute. Have you ever had an expectation of someone or something that never materialized? You were let down by someone, maybe somebody made you a promise and didn't fulfill the promise, or they said they would be there or do something for you, and it never came through? How did you feel about that? Weren't you at least a little bit disappointed, maybe even angry? Maybe when you've been let down and it kind of made you sad. If so, if you've ever felt that way, then you know what this crowd of people at the first Palm Sunday are about to feel, because they're about to be let down. You see, the people who were there on that first Palm Sunday had something of a preconceived notion of the kind of king they wanted, the king they expected Jesus to be. It turns out that the title Son of David meant something totally different to them. They had a different idea of the kind of king they wanted Jesus to be. So what kind of king were they expecting? When they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, what did they have in their minds that Jesus was going to be for them? Because you better believe they did have an expectation that they had placed upon him, even if they didn't realize it. 
Well, for starters, if we read through the Gospels, we find that a lot of people who even followed Jesus wanted a king who would give them what they wanted. That's what they wanted out of their king. We want a king who will give us what we want. In John chapter 6, you can turn there at home if you like. In John 6, there's a, a story of a miracle that I'm sure you're very familiar with. These crowds have been following Jesus for days, and they're kind of out in a desolate place where there's no food. So the disciples tell Jesus to tell the crowd to go into the town to get something to eat so the disciples can have a break. But Jesus, of course, doesn't do that. Instead, he multiplies five loaves of bread and two fish, and that is enough to feed 5,000 men, just the men. So all told, there could have been as many as ten or 15,000 people that day that Jesus fed through that miracle. And not only that, but there were even leftovers, right? Twelve baskets full of leftovers. And the people there see this miracle and are pretty amazed. And they essentially want to take advantage of this situation of Jesus multiplying this food. So if you look at verse 14 of John 6... It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus multiplies this food and the people were like, did you see what this guy just did with the bread and the fish? We're full. I mean, I'm stuffed to the gills. This guy can keep our bellies full? Well, get him. Grab him. Let's make him king, whether he wants to be or not, because a guy who can keep my belly full is a guy that I want to be king. And when the people shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, they were praising what they thought was a king who could keep them fed. That's what I want from my king. That is the son of David that the people wanted. And that is who they thought Jesus was. He's a guy who can miraculously multiply food and keep us fed and healthy. So when he comes into Jerusalem, they shout, of course, Hosanna to the son of David. But is that the kind of king Jesus is? The kind who will give me what I want? who will take care of my felt needs, is that all he's concerned about is whether or not I'm hungry or I'm in need in some way? It's one of his concerns, to be sure. But is that the kind of king Jesus is? But the people also wanted a king who could give them power. Again, if you read through the Gospels, you will see that the kind of king and Messiah the people wanted was someone who would care for them, not just meet their needs as far as their food needs, but the people wanted a national king, a king who would reestablish Israel as a world power. They wanted a king who would reassert Israel's dominance as an international force to be reckoned with, like in the days of King David. A king who would rule over the nations with Israel at its head. They wanted a king who would release them from the tyrannical grip of Rome. Even Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, fell into this kind of thinking. If you turn to Luke chapter 22, in verse 24, it says that a dispute rose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
Now, what are the disciples disputing about? What are they talking about here? They're talking about which one of them will be the greatest, will have the most power when Jesus establishes this worldwide kingdom on earth. Who's going to be the right-hand man? Who's going to be the number two and three and four and so on, all the way down to 12, because, of course, there are 12 of them. And how can I climb up that ladder of authority in Jesus' kingdom? I want to be the number one. See, the disciples thought on some level that Jesus was a king who would rule over an earthly kingdom that he was going to set up, and they were going to help him rule it, and so they argued about which of them would be the greatest and have the most authority and power in Jesus' new kingdom. And doesn't that sound to you like, I want Jesus to be king for what I can get out of it? my power or control or authority or whatever, what's in it for me? If Jesus is going to be king, what's in it for me? Another time in Mark chapter 10, you can turn there at home if you like to, Mark chapter 10, we read about two of Jesus' more bold disciples who stopped beating around the bush And came right out with it in Mark 10, verse 35. It says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) That's kind of bold, wouldn't you say? Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. We know you're powerful and that you're going to have a kingdom, so do for us whatever we ask. Give us anything we want. Talk about bold. Maybe even a little entitled. Verse 36 of Mark 10, it says that Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So here are James and John, and they're saying, Jesus, we want to be the top two guys in your kingdom. We know that when you establish your kingdom, you're going to be powerful, and we want a taste of that power. So you choose which one of us gets to sit at your right and your left. And do you remember how Jesus responded to this idea? He said, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. James and John thought that Jesus was the kind of king who could give them power. Power over their lives, power over others, authority and status. That's the kind of king that even Jesus' disciples thought he was, or at least wanted him to be. But then, of course, Jesus dies on the cross. And all of their preconceived notions about the kind of king Jesus was went flying out the window. Because here they were, planning out their dominion as the number two and three men in the kingdom, But the king dies on a cross. But then, of course, something remarkable happens, right? That king rises from the dead. Now imagine that. Our king rises from the dead. Imagine how truly powerful he must be. Man, what's it going to be like to be the number two guy in the kingdom of the king who rises from the dead? Imagine my authority then. Because this is exactly what Jesus' disciples thought. After they rise from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, you can turn to Acts 1. After Jesus rises from the dead, he's about to ascend into heaven, but first he meets with his disciples, and this is what they ask in Acts 1 verse 6. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) Jesus has just risen from the dead, and what is on the minds of the disciples? This must be it. 
This must be the time when he is going to establish this earthly kingdom and we are finally going to get some power. You see, the disciples, they were there on that first Palm Sunday. In fact, maybe they were the ones who actually started that Hosanna to the Son of David chant. But even the disciples didn't have a clear idea of the kind of king that Jesus was. And to really send this message home, just think about the way Jesus entered Jerusalem. I mean, if Jesus were coming to Jerusalem to establish an earthly kingdom and conquer Rome and reestablish Israel as this ruling power of the world, how would you expect him to enter the capital city? Wouldn't you expect him to come on the biggest, strongest, whitest horse in the land? Wouldn't you expect him to come leading his vast armies behind him along with all of the riches and treasures and wealth of his kingdom? But how did Jesus enter the capital city? Not on a white horse, on a donkey. Not surrounded by armies, but surrounded by nobodies and losers and former fishermen and blue-collar laborers. See, everything about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem screamed that he wasn't the kind of king the people were expecting. But guess what? Someday he will be. Because as we even read from the book of Revelation chapter 5 earlier in the service, he is going to come on that white horse and with the hosts of heaven behind him and he is going to set up his dominion on the earth. That king is still coming. But when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was not that king. He came humble and on a donkey. But the people couldn't see this because they already had an image of the kind of king they wanted firmly solidified in their minds. And what happens when your expectations are way up here, but reality is further down here? Don't you get bitter and angry? Don't you feel let down because someone you trusted to do something for you didn't come through? No wonder everybody deserted Jesus within a week. He wasn't the kind of king they wanted. And lastly here, we see from the Bible that many of the people wanted the kind of king who would do what they told him to do. That's what we want. We want a king who will do what we tell him to do. And again, there are several times in the Gospels when Jesus is kind of just going about his business and people come up to him at random and they say, hey, teacher, do a miracle. We want to see something cool. Show us a miracle and then we'll believe that you are who you say you are. We see this in Matthew chapter 12. Again, you can turn to Matthew 12, verse 38. It says that some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And what they're saying is, that's kind of code language, and what they're saying is, listen here, Jesus, if you really want to be my king, you're going to have to prove it. You're, if you really are who you say who you are, I want you to do whatever I ask you to do, and then I'll believe. Matthew 12, 39, Jesus answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it. Jesus essentially says, Hey, I'm not your circus clown. I don't do what you want. You see, many people who walked with Jesus 
would believe that he was the king, that he was the Messiah, the son of David, contingent upon whether or not he would do what they told him to do. It's kind of like saying, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you if, oh, you can be my king if. Now, the problem with that kind of thinking is that it takes the king from the throne and it puts the subjects on the throne instead. And all of a sudden, Jesus, or the king, has become a subject. And Jesus will not be anyone's subject. So the Hosanna to the son of David shouts rang kind of hollow on that Palm Sunday because this is what the people wanted from Jesus as their king, as their Messiah. The problem is, that is not the kind of king Jesus is. Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in order to establish a new earthly kingdom in Israel. He didn't come to defeat their physical enemies and set up Israel as a leader on the world's political stage. He didn't come to give people what they want. He didn't come to empower them. He didn't come to be subject to them. Is it any wonder then that just one week later, everyone has deserted him? Is it any wonder then that as he hangs on the cross, everyone, including his closest friends, have left him? Where's the Hosanna crowd at the crucifixion? They're gone. Nowhere to be found. They don't want a crucified king. Because a king on a cross can't make their bellies full. A king on a cross can't conquer their enemies for them and raise them to national promises, prominence. They certainly thought that the only thing a crucified king can do is die. And if we're being completely honest with ourselves, can't we identify with those folks at least maybe just a little bit? Sure, we might shout, Hosanna to the son of David, but are we doing it because of the king Jesus is? or because of the king we want him to be. And again, if we're being honest, don't we have the tendency to want a king who will give us what we want? Don't we have the tendency to want a king who will grant me power and success and importance? Don't we have the tendency to want a king who will do what I tell him to do? Pastor Wick, many years ago, said something that has always stuck with me. He said, most people are happy to serve God, as long as it's in an advisory capacity. In other words, I'm happy to serve God by telling him what he should do. And I think the problem with the people at the first Palm Sunday and the problem with us on this Palm Sunday is that we are more than happy to shout Hosanna as long as the king does what we want him to. And what we want is a king who thinks and does exactly like we do. In fact, you know what? It would actually be most ideal if I could just be my own king. (laughs) I am the kind of king that I want because I have all of my best interests in heart, at heart, and I think I know exactly what those are and what they should be. But praise the Lord that God did not make me the king. (laughs) And praise the Lord that Jesus is not the kind of king that we want because those kings are a dime a dozen. And guess what? They are all failures. It's a good thing that God didn't give us the kind of king we want because the king we want is always going to be a failure. He is always going to let us down because he's a human being and human beings are sinful by nature. Even David, the greatest king in Israel's history, could not be the king the people needed 
He was the king the people wanted, and he gave them the salvation that they wanted. During David's reign, Israel was the most powerful and prosperous nation on the face of the earth. They essentially ruled the known world. The people lived in peace and prosperity. Their bellies were full. They had prominence and power. They had political power. They could do whatever they wanted. But their king was an absolute moral failure. He could not give them the salvation that they needed because he himself needed to be saved. He could never save them from their sin. And if God made me the king, I would likewise fail spectacularly. And in fact, I have failed. I have a, a laundry list of how unqualified I am to be king. I am utterly unqualified and incapable of saving myself. So God did not give us another David. He did not give us the king we want. Instead, he gave us the king we need. You see, Jesus will not be forced into your personal agenda. He will not be forced into a political or national agenda. Jesus will not be subservient to your desire to obtain a prosperous life. Jesus will not conform to your list of demands. Instead, Jesus is the kind of king who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the king by whom all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. They were all created through him and for him. Jesus is the king who is before all things and the king in whom all things hold together. Jesus is the kind of king who is the head of the body, the church. He is the king who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything this king might be preeminent. In this king, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through this king to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of this king's cross. Listen, you don't need a king who gives you what you want. You need a king who knows what you need and who can supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. You need a king who sees and supplies your deepest need, which is to be made right with God. You need a king who will give himself for you and die in your place to take the punishment that your sin deserves. You don't need a king who will give you power and authority. You need a king who has all power and authority, even power over death. You don't need a king who will do what you say. You need a king who has done what his father says perfectly in all things, including making peace between God and you by the blood of his cross. Praise the Lord that he has not given us the king we want but the king we need. And as we come to see that he is the king that we need, then we will want him. And as we see that what he has done for us, we will want more of him. We will want to please this king with our lives, to serve him with our time and resources, and to give him our devotion. So the question to you this morning is this, is that the kind of king you want? 
because that's the kind of king Jesus is, and that's what he came to do. In this time of coronavirus craziness and pandemics, it might be tempting for us to think that what we need is a king that will keep us safe from disease, that will keep us safe from the coronavirus and heal us of our diseases. You know what? That's not the kind of king we need. It might be the kind of king we want, but it's not the king we need. What we need is a king who is powerful to save us from the sin that caused the coronavirus in the first place. We need a king that has defeated the effects of disease and sin and death by his own death and resurrection. And that is the kind of king Jesus is. And that is the kind of king that you need. And if we will know Jesus for who he truly is, then we will not set him up on some man-made pedestal that he is never meant to be on. As many of even his own followers did, they had this preconceived notion of who Jesus was, and then when he didn't live up to the image of him that they made in their minds, they left. And this happens more frequently than you probably realize. Think about it. Have you ever met someone, you probably know someone who at one time professed faith in Christ at one point in their lives, but then they walked away. Most of the time, the reason they walked away is because they discovered that Jesus is not the kind of king they want. They've created a role for him in their lives and in their minds. They have an expectation for their king, Jesus. And when Jesus doesn't live up to their expectations, they reject him. Because according to their preconceived notion, he has utterly failed. Well, that's just like those in Jerusalem who rejected Jesus so long ago. He didn't turn out to be the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a king who would fulfill their purposes. And when that didn't happen, they left. But you know what? Jesus didn't come to fulfill your purposes. And he didn't come to fulfill mine. He came according to the will of the Father. And the Father knew what we need. And that's what he gave us. Praise the Lord for that. So Holy Week is a time for us to know who Jesus is in truth. It's a time for us to submit ourselves to Jesus' kingship and rule and reign. It's a time to remember the kind of king Jesus is and to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a time to remember that my own lordship of the world only leads to sin and sadness, but Jesus' lordship leads to life. It's a time to submit my own will and desires to his sovereign rule. It's a time to repent of trying to force the will of God to fit my own agenda. It's a time to trust and rejoice in our good king. It's a time to see Jesus in truth and to shout with sincere joy, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest because of who he is, not who I want him to be. And we're going to be seeing that true Jesus throughout the rest of this week, certainly in our Good Friday service and on Easter Sunday. And I want you to consider this. Maybe God has used all of this coronavirus business to show you that Jesus is the king you need. And if so, come to him. Reach out to him in faith. And he will answer because he's a good king and he knows what you need and he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Let's pray.
Our Lord Jesus, we declare again that you are king. And Lord, you are not the king that I want, but you are the king that you are. Lord, don't conform yourself to my desires, but instead, Lord, shape my desires and conform them to who you are. So, Lord, that I will be satisfied in every way by submitting myself to your lordship. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know every single need that we have. Lord, certainly you know our deepest need of salvation, of being reconciled to a holy God, and you have done everything to meet that need on our behalf. And Lord, I also thank you that although you didn't come to fill our bellies, Lord, you are concerned with whether or not our bellies are filled because you are a good king who cares about each and every aspect of our lives. You yourself came as a man. You know all of the temptations and trials that human beings go through because you went through them yourself. And so, Lord, you have just an indescribable ability to identify with our needs in every possible way and, Lord, to meet them. So we thank you that you are a good king who provides for his people in every way, spiritually, of course, emotionally, physically. God, you care when your people are hungry. You care when your people are sick. You care when their hearts are broken. But you care most that they are made right and can stand before God on your merit. Lord, again, conform our ideas of who you are to what you are, not what we want. So, Lord, that we might submit ourselves to you fully and truly. And so, Lord, that our cries of Hosanna to the Son of David might ring true in the fullest sense because of who you are and what you have done. Lord, be glorified in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.